this psalm, as we know, you know, David, the, the psalmist, we, we have lots of psalms that, that, that are written by the same, the same psalmist here, yeah, and you know, several of his psalms. But this psalm stops you in your tracks with a bang. The heavens, he says, declare the glory of God. It forces you to contemplate this fact that the heavens, the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the Milky Way, all these inanimate objects, they join the angels in heaven to declare the glory of God. In this psalm, we, we see two aspects of God's revelation. We see the natural revelation. That is, God has revealed himself through what he has created. And then we see the special revelation. God revealing himself through his word. If you, if you cast your mind back to, to Psalm 1, Psalm 1 stresses the importance of the special revelation. It talks about God's word, isn't it? It says, blessed is the man, it starts about, you know, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, understand? But his delight, he says, his delight, the delight of this blessed man is in what? Is in the law of the Lord, meaning the word of God. The scriptures, and then it goes to, to then declare this man will be like a tree planted by streams of living water, whatever it does, prospers, and so on and so, so forth. So Psalm 1 is all about this special revelation, the word of God. But Psalm 19 brings both of them together. And as I said earlier, it stresses both the natural revelation of God and the special revelation through his word. So it brings both concepts together. C.S. Lewis commenting on this, this psalm says, quote, this is the greatest poem in the book of the psalms. And he asserts that it's one of the greatest lyrics in the world. So the first six verses speak of how God talks through his creation. Then there's an abrupt change. If you notice, after verse, verse 6, he suddenly changes and he starts to talk about God's word, the holy scriptures. And the final three verses shows how David, the psalmist, re responds to this wonderful revelation. So first, let's have a look at the voice of the skies, as the psalmist puts it. It takes us back to Genesis 1, isn't it? How God created the atmospheres, the skies, the clouds, the stars, the planets. And from our earthly perspective, from where we are, when we look up, we see the sky looks like a canopy. 
which preaches to us day and night. By day, we have all these cloud formations, and during clear nights, we can see a whole new world appear there, isn't it? We see the stars, we see the moon. Hence, the psalmist says, the heavens declare God's glory. Day after day, he says, continually, it's a, they are continually like the angels in heaven who are crying one to the other. Scripture tells us one cries out to the other in the book of Revelations. They are crying. They are not just voicing it. They are crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. All the earth, all the earth is full of thy glory. And in, in the same way, day after day here, we see the heavens, the skies, the sun, the moon, the stars, they are continually pouring forth speech and displaying God's creatorship, God's knowledge. And what are they saying? They are declaring the glory of God. They are instructing us. They are proclaiming to us. They are publishing to us that God created them. Is the creator. And why it's interesting? Because he, he says they declare the glory of God. He, he, the, the phraseology, the way he speaks here is, is, is that they, their voice but they are not really speaking like, like I am now, are they? There is no literal word spoken by this, as we said earlier, they are inanimate objects. Yet, in the message of the heavens, God's creatorship is glory and majesty is communicated to all parts of the earth. It says in verse, verse 3, and four, he says, um, verse three, there is no speech. Another version says, there is no language where their voice does not reach out. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice, he says, goes out where? Throughout all the earth. As if that's not enough. To reinforce that, he says their words goes to the end of the world. So, communicating to the whole earth so that no one has an excuse. No one has an excuse. As, as Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul says in Romans, God has shown it to, to them. For what can be, can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since when the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now, verse 4b to 6 then focuses on the greatest wonder of all the galaxies of the sky. It fo focuses on the sun. 
verse, verse 4. Um, verse 4b. In them, that is, in the skies, he has set a tent for the sun. And then he graphically he uses artist, artistic picture to describe the sun. He says, it's like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It's like a bridegroom coming forth from his chamber. The ancient world, as, as, as we know, the, 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 the Greeks and, and many parts of, of the ancient world, they were so impressed with the sun that the concept of sun worship was, was, was the norm that is, that is the god of the sun, as, as, as I'm sure you, you would know. And today, unfortunately, yet today, many people still worship the sun. They've, they are worshiping the created thing and have not worshipped, not worshipping the creator. So this psalm is asserting that it is God who created the sun and he then set a place for it like a tent and determines its path. It rises, as I said earlier, as, as the psalmist graphically describes its path. It rises at one end of the heaven. And it's interesting, he uses the word circuit, implying that it's going around. It's going around. So even at a time when, when there was so much controversy about is the earth flat or is it round, the psalmist here had gotten it that it makes it circuit. It goes round from one end of the world to the other. And it says nothing is hidden from its seat. And then as I said earlier in, in verse 7, there is this sudden change. He then talks about the voice of scripture, the special revelation of God. He draws our attention to the greater wonder of God's special revelation, his written word, the scriptures, the holy Bible. And it's interesting to note that like in Gen Genesis 1 to 3, where there is a change in the general name God, if you look at Genesis, Genesis 1 to 3. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And God saw that it was good. And God said, God said, God said. And then when you get, you get to after God created Adam and Eve, there is a change to the name. And then it starts to say, the Lord God. The Lord God formed the man from the dust, and the Lord God made to spring up every tree. There's a, there a change. There's that addition of that 
personal name, the Lord. And in the same way, the psalmist David starts to use that personal name of God, the Lord, from verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commands of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is, it changes. It doesn't use that name, God, any longer. As he contemplates God's word. And this is the name that became special. The Lord God. The Lord became special to Israel. After the almighty creator redeemed them from captivity. And entered into a special relationship with them. You would recall that, 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 that when, when, when he instructed. He said you will bless the, the, in in numbers, not numbers, where where the the Lord spoke to Moses and instructed him to instruct Aaron that this is how you will bless the children of of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. Not God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon that personal, intimate name, the Lord. We see, we, we see that, that name being used here by David, the, the psalmist, once he starts to talk about this special revelation of God, the word of God. So the name God appears just once in verse 1, where the heavens declare the glory of God. But Lord is repeated six times in verses 7 to, to 10. And as in Psalm 119, we see several terms, several terminologies, if you like, are used to describe God's word. He talks about the law of God. He talks about these precepts. He talks about statutes, testimony, ordinances, commandments. Six terms are used here with six matching descriptions of the effects. So it's cause and effects. All of this is to reinforce the clarity and significance of God's revealed word in the Holy Scripture. So, verse, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect. And what does it do? Because it is perfect, it revives the soul. I think there's another version says it converts the soul. And I can testify to that because it was reading God's word many years ago. You know, we all, we all, we all came to know our Lord Christ through several means. Often it is by hearing the word preached. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Or some, someone speaks to us but at times, it is the scriptures, study of reading the scriptures. You are grabbed by something. It was the book of John that I was reading, and it grabbed me. You know? um, so, so, so the law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. There is a completeness, completeness about God's word. 
There is a con consistency about it. It has the effect of converting the soul. It has this life-renewing impact. I always say there is no other book. You know, all books will, will inform you. They will inform you. They will educate you. They will make you more aware of something. But this is the only book that transforms you. Transforms you not just for here and now, but for eternity. There's a completeness about it. You know, Paul, Paul was, was saying to, to Timothy, you, are, you, are, you have been taught the scriptures from childhood, making you wise unto salvation. The testimony of the, the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Testimony, as, as we will recall, is, is used to describe the Ten Commandments that were put in the Act, in the Act of the tes Testimony. Exodus talks about that. And it, God's word makes the wise, makes, makes the simple wise. The simple, as in Proverbs, are, are the untaught, those that could be swayed from one way to the other. It's, it's the word of God. It's the scriptures that makes us wise. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we are told, elsewhere in scriptures. Then verse, verse 8, the precepts, another term, the precepts of the, the Lord are right. They do what? They rejoice the heart. They are right. They are straight. They are upright. There's nothing crooked about this, this, this book. They are not burdensome. They gladden the heart. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would, you, would, you would relate to that. You are, you are studying God's word or you, you, you hear God, God's word. Even when, when it comes with a sharp rebuke, you know that eventually it is to make you rejoicing and then the commands of the lord is pure and what do they do they enlighten the eyes they are clear and bright they, they grant understanding of god's purity and love and so they enlighten the eyes and the fear of the lord verse 9 the fear of of the lord is clean it endures forever. The godly life taught by scripture brings about a holy reverence of God, which is clean and pure. I, I am reading a book now, and, and I think this, 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 this chap says something that um, Jonathan Edwards relates with and, and asserts. He says, the most important attribute of God is his holiness. It's, it's purity that God cannot look upon sin, which is why, as, as I said earlier, the, the angels in, in heaven, they are, they are shouting, holy, holy, holy. So, in the same way, the, 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 this, 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 this book here, the Holy 
scriptures, they are they, they are they, they are they, they 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 bring that fear of the Lord in into us which is which is pure and clean. We are we are reminded of of what the Lord Jesus Christ said on the someone on the, the mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The rules, the rules of the Lord are true and they are altogether righteous. Remember when, when our Lord was praying for his disciples, us in, included, he said, he prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So God's word is true. And then in, in verse 10, he, does, he, he then does some, something of a comparison with finest gold and, and, and best honey. In, in verse 10, he says, more to be desired are they. Meaning, more uh, as, as scriptures, God's words, God's law, God's precepts, God's ordinances, testimony, in a nutshell, God's word, more are they to be desired than what than 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 pure gold, the finest gold, and sweeter than honey, even honey from um, the the honeycomb. So he, he's saying here the 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 psalmist essentially is saying here that God's word for those seeking riches. That it is more precious than the finest gold. There is this hymn: "You are precious, uh, more, more, more precious. You are, you are more precious than the greatest treasure." And for people with with sweet tooth, it says it is sweeter. God's word is is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. So the, the challenge then, brothers and sisters, and boys and girls, the challenge then is how much do we treasure the scriptures? God's word is given for our good. And there is great reward in studying them, great reward in hearing them, and great reward in doing them. Verse 11. Moreover, by them, by what? By the scriptures is your servant warned. It's only as we study God, God's word, as we hear God's word and we keep them, that we are able to live a life that pleases God. David here is, is emphasizing that, that he views the, the scriptures as signposts for godly living and testifies to the great rewards of keeping them. You know, Paul, the apostle Paul, asserts the same thing when he says in the, in the, in, in the book of Romans, the law is holy and the commandment holy and righteous 
and good. And you, you remember the charge he gave to, to, to Timothy, his, his charge. He says, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that the man of God, and this is the effect, so that the man of God, and the woman of God, and the boy and, and girl of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then in, in, in verse 12, in light of the, the meditation on, on God's word, we see here that um, David is acknowledging his unworthiness and his tendency to sin in, in verse 12. Who can discern his errors? He asked. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep me also from presumptuous sins. This is instructive, isn't it? Because he's got insight here. He, he's saying that even when we know what's best for us through God's word, we still has this, we, we still have this tendency, this natural tendency to go astray. And David knows that from his own experience. And so he's asking, he's asking the Lord to cleanse him from hidden faults and to keep him from presumptuous, that is, willful sinning. The godly person is no longer under the dom dominion of sin, but he must still pray and desire not to be ruled by any, any sin. As someone said, we need daily washing by our Lord. I'm, I'm reminded again of where Paul instructs. Uh, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your, your salvation. Your salvation has started at the cross when you you, you, are, you and I put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus. But he is he, saying that, in a way, salvation is a continuing process, which is why he uses that, that, that phrase, work out your, your salvation. And then he goes, he goes to say, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. It's God's spirit. That, that helps us. We, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are weak. We are, we, are, we are a paradox. Every Christian, every believer is a paradox because we are still in this world and we have that sinful Adamic nature. We have the world pressing upon us and we have, of course, our common enemy, Satan. But at the same time, we are partakers as Peter says elsewhere, we are partakers of the Holy Spirit. And then in, in verse 13, he, he talks about this great transgression. He says, keep back 
your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over, over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. It's, the suggestion is, is that he's probably, probably thinking of the, the sin of apostasy and the, 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 the sin of, um, of stepping back into, into unbelief. And then the psalmist closes with a plea, with a plea in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, that is, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David closes with a plea that that is words. And I would say that is the, I, I, I would suggest that that is the easy bit for us, isn't it? The rather challenging bit, the thoughts, the meditation, the thoughts of our hearts, that they be pleasing and acceptable to God. He is aware of how easy it could be deceived the self-deceit, the heart, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can discern it? Our hearts are full of deceit. Even as believers, we have to constantly pray this, this prayer. And I like this, this, this um, version. Some, some other versions say, may the words of my, but this one says, let, is asking God as it, it were, is asking him, he's saying, I can't do it. Father, I can't do it. And we all should be praying that, that prayer because we cannot do it really. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to help with the, with, 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 with the depth of corruption in our hearts. Let the words of my mouth, as I said, that's the easy bit. The meditation that is the thoughts, my, the inclination, of my, the thoughts, the, the, the desires, the affections in my, in my mind, in my heart. You alone can do it. Father, I can't do it. It's, 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 it's a prayer. That verse in itself is a loaded prayer. It's come to that point. As I said earlier, Maybe from all his past experience, we are falling into grievous, wicked sins. He's come to understand that he's incapable of helping himself. So he's saying, Lord, let, let please, you alone can do, do it. Jonathan Ed, Edwards talks about, <laughs> he talks about the, the Jonathan Edwards was was this great preacher and 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 evangelist of of the 18th century. He talks about the bottomless depths of secret corruption and deceit in his heart. And then he he goes on 
to 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 explain that he, he, he is totally feeble and he used the word impotent to deal with this tendency towards sin and wickedness. And I and I think if we really shine the lights into our hearts, we will rea realize that, that we need the Lord God himself to help us. David must have learned this, 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 this bitter experience about the sad condition of his heart, which is why he's praying this day, this prayer, that you are my rock, you are my strength, and my redeemer. In Israel, as we all, we, we all know, the concept of the kinsman redeemer the, is the next of, of kin who comes to the, the aid of a family member, as we see with, with Ruth and, and, and Boaz. Boaz was, was the king, kinsman redeemer of Ruth, and, and it was applied to God as well, because it was God, as I said earlier, who redeemed the children of Israel from Slave, slavery. The, the Lord Jesus was given by, by God to be our kinsman redeemer. He redeemed us from bondage to sin and Satan. We were redeemed at the cost of his precious blood. So, the final word. As believers, we need to treasure the scriptures. Study them to revive our souls, to enlighten our minds. It was Cromwell who said, the mind is the man. The mind. The mind is, is, is where the, the struggles, where the, the, the fights occurs, which is where, why we, we, we need the, the scriptures to permit our, our, our hearts and our minds to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus make us clean, to make us wise, to make us pure, to enlighten our eyes, to, to gladden our hearts, that we will rejoice more and more. So we need to pray David's prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and mind be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Only the Lord can do it, which is why that hymn writer pens, prone to sin, prone to wonder from the Lord that I love. So let's pray this prayer all the time and God will help us to become more and more like his son, the Lord Jesus, who redeemed us from our sins.